All right, so we got some new people here. I know Brittany's excited. She loves Marvel. Okay, so how many of you, I know some of you didn't know last week, how many of you grew up with Marvel comic books or DC? Anybody? Okay, good, good. I love when there's only a few comic book geeks, but when you're a geek, you know you're a geek. You're like, I did. So what's so fun about these movies is watching some of these movies that have come out with my son. We were just talking about this before the start of the service. Um, he's always critiquing the movie. I think it was uh, somebody was telling me, you know, he watches the movies like that's not the way it was in the original comic book, Dad. That's just not the way it was, you know. And so all we're doing with this is actually thematically tying it into a passage we've been looking at, which is one out of Mark chapter 6. And it said that Jesus looked at the people's faith, and in this case, he marveled at their unbelief. That's how we started last week. And we said, you know, if Jesus is going to marvel at something, let's not let him marvel at our unbelief. Let's let him marvel at our belief. And we walked through what that looks like last week to launch this series. We're going to thematically connect each week. And this week, we're going to connect it to Ant-Man. You all like that? You thought just the pastor wore a t-shirt. Now, this has we're going to look at Ant-Man this week. It is going to be a blast. And we're going to connect that to a very famous proverb. And that proverb talks about the diligence of the ant. And so, so you know how this series is working. We're partnering with two other churches simultaneous to do this message series. Is that cool or what? One is in Arkansas. The name of that church is Brand New Church. And the one you've met is uh, Pastor Peter over in Federalsburg, which is Exciting First Church of God. So three different churches, three different locations, all partnering together to present a series that we're hoping will really move people forward in their faith. That's awesome. You don't see that very often. And so if you've got a Bible, open it up. We're going to look at this idea of Ant-Man. We're going to be looking at the Proverbs, Proverbs 6, starting in verse 6. And we're just going to look at 6 through 11. You got a Bible, go ahead and pull it out. If you don't have a Bible, there's pew Bibles in front of you. And if you've got that little teeny thing we call a, a bulletin inside, we've got thick and thin pages for you. So if you're, you're curious how to get to that passage, there's thick and thin numbers, okay? So you get a thick Bible, that's the thick one, thin when you go for that page number, okay? So let's look at this together, starting in verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Don't you love that word? You sluggard. You don't see that one too often. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Verse 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. This is a cool proverb. The writer of this proverb was trying to help people see that, you know, some things come into our life based on our worldview, our perspective, our lens from which that we view the world. And specifically in this case, how we view hard work, how we view how we actually engage with the world around us. When you think of the word sluggard, which is a cool word, this is a cool word. We're going to connect that to the idea of a slug, a slug. Now, how many of you all right, I just got to ask, how many of you poured salt on a slug as a kid? You're honest, you're in church, right? Okay, so did it look like this? Can we get that picture of a slug? Did it look like this? It's nasty, isn't it? So when I was thinking about this message and I was thinking about sluggard and slugs, I'm thinking, you know, it's a good contrast, a slug and an ant. Some of us go through life kind of like the slug. Does anybody know what the purpose of a slug is? Other than to take up space and pour salt on it. Anybody know? I mean, it kind of just exists in the garden, and some people that are gardeners say it's healthy for the garden. I don't know, because it leaves slime and it fertilizes it or what, but it, it just does its thing and it eats stuff. There's actually, did you know that slugs will eat one another? I thought that was funny. There's combat slugs. I mean, like, can you imagine a slug treat chasing down another slug? You know, it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't excite me. So, but then you think about an ant. Look at this. And an ant in their lifetime, this is kind of hard to see, but look at this. This is an, an ant 
you know, formation. This is their actual hive, if you want to call it that. Or, and they build this over the course of their lifetime. The way they get this is kind of cool. They just pour down either plaster or you can pour down metal. And look how big that is. And you think about the size of an, a typical ant. Ants live for about 45 to 60 days. And their colony is able to build that. And the big difference, I think, when you think about a sluggard and you think about an ant and you think about slugs and ants is how many times you ever see slugs together? Not very often. But ants, the whole, the whole unit moves together toward one purpose, toward one goal. And I think when the, pro, the proverb writer, when he put this proverb together, he knew that and he had that in mind. You know, ants can lift 20 times their own body weight. So if I was an ant, don't nobody, nobody do the math on me, okay? But I could lift 5,000 pounds, okay? And you're like, oh my gosh, you need to lose some weight. Yes, I do, but I could lift 5,000 pounds if I was an ant. And here's the interesting thing. They're loyal to the leader. They're loyal to the movement. They're, they're loyal to seeing something happen that's bigger than they could do by themselves, and only together can they accomplish something so huge. That, I think this is what the proverb writer had in mind. So let's look at this. Let's look at the negative side of this, the slug, and let's look at the positive side of this, which is the end. So don't be a slug. Don't be a sluggard. Here's three things I think create being a slug or sluggard. The first one is this, inflexible. You're inflexible. This is not literal, okay? I understand if you grab a slug, you can bend that sucker all over the place, okay? This is more of the idea of being flexible in your role, being flexible in understanding what's happening. Sometimes people get so anchored in a role, whether it's their business role or their parenting role or whatever they're doing, they lose the ability to be flexible. In fact, you shouldn't be anchored into the role, you should be anchored into the goal. And when you begin to understand that being anchored into a goal it helps you to be flexible in different roles that actually present themselves not only in your work, but in your family and in your community. Another thing that can create inflexibility is an overinflated opinion of self. You've met people like this, right? And they have such an opinion about who they are and how awesome they are, they won't kind of lower themselves to things that they think are beneath them, and they're not flexible at all. These are the kind of people, you know, like at a church, you know, function, you know, they, they can't put out chairs. They can't just serve people. They can't just, they, they, they have to have a more inflated role. They're inflexible. Another thing I think that if attacks this area is a lack of creativity, a lack of creativity. We get locked into a modality of we've always done it this way, right? So therefore there can't be another way to do it. There might be better or different a different expression, a different way to connect to different people. Creativity is all about, you know, God's the one who's creative. He gave us the ability to be creative, which means to think outside many times of the normal box that we put stuff in. And we become inflexible. We become like a slug. And then the other one, I think, is we become comfortable. You ever seen that one? You become comfortable. You know, I've always done it this way. I've always understood it this way. I've always approached it this way. And that makes us very inflexible, very rigid in our faith, very rigid in our thinking. You've probably met people like this in your work, right? They've always done it this way. There is no other way to do it. This way works. Why change it? I'm comfortable doing it this way. I think this is probably the big argument. If you've ever met people that only read a specific version of the Bible, they're like, you know, this is it. I only read the KJV. It's the only one for me. It's the one Jesus used, okay? Or, hey, I only read the nearly inerrant version, the NIV. That's the one I got, you know? And they just, that's all I read because they don't realize beyond that that every translation is actually written through a lens. They're all written through a lens. If you really want to know the original, you got to go back to the original language, and none of us are doing that. So you're already reading it through a lens. That's just reality. 
So the second thing that I think when you think about being a slug and just how this is a negative thing and kills our productivity is we're insecure. Can we be honest? We're all insecure. To some level, we're all insecure about something or someone or some position. And insecurity is connected to this idea of a lack of understanding of your real value. In fact, what we do is, again, we ascribe our value to what our parents told us sometimes, or we ascribe our value to what our work tells us, or we ascribe our value to what the world tells us or the people in society around us tell us, and we lose the big picture that our value is connected to something so much more intrinsic and so much more valuable and so much more deeper, which is God's opinion of who you are and how he made you and how he uniquely wired you to do something that only you could do with your life. When you start to get that, you won't be insecure. You'll be secure. Anybody remember an old TV show? This was an old one. I know I'm going to show my age a little bit, but anybody remember The Greatest American Hero? Oh, cool. There's some people. If you didn't, you can Google it. It's on YouTube, okay, for people who've never seen it. And then The Greatest American Hero is a funny superhero uh, TV show. Remember this? Because these aliens brought this super suit for this dude, right? And they brought it, but they, somehow they lost the instructions on how to operate the super suit. That's what makes this such a funny series, right? And the guy was incredibly insecure because he didn't understand his purpose. He didn't understand his role. He wasn't actually very secure because of this whole dynamic. And I think this is what you see. People lack an understanding of their role, their purpose, their call, and the direction of their life. And they become very insecure. But when you connect that intimately into how God has made you, you won't be insecure. The third thing I think when you think about being a sluggard and being a slug is we're indecisive. We're indecisive. Of course, a slug's not the first animal I think of when I think of indecisive. What's the first one you think of? A squirrel. Come on. I was on my way here. I was on my way here even, and one right out in front of me. You know what squirrels do, right? You're coming down on them things, barreling down at whatever speed you do, depending on if you obey the speed limit or not. And you're, bar- you're barreling down on that squirrel, and what's it doing? Right? And I'm like, what is that, you know? You deserve to die, okay? If I believed in evolution, that squirrel deserved to die. It's a good thing I believe in grace and not evolution, okay? Because they, they lived. They lived. And I didn't swerve to help the process along either, okay? But I'm just thinking, boop, boop, boop. And aren't we, yeah, sure. And aren't we like that, though? Aren't we like that? What makes us indecisive? When we're tired. You ever notice that? If you get overly tired, aren't you more indecisive? You're like, I, I just can't, I can't, don't ask anything more of me. I'm tired, right? What about when you lack vision? You ever been in an organization where you're like, I have no idea where this organization's going. I have no idea what we're supposed to be doing. And that makes you indecisive because I don't even know how to make a decision within this structure because I have no idea where it's headed. What about when you feel pressure? When you feel Stress. You're overstressed. That's what the squirrel's feeling when you know the cars coming, cars coming down, barreling on. Right? I feel some stress. It makes it hard to make the right decision. You're indecisive. One of one of the heroes in my life, which we'll talk probably more about next week, is my mom. Anybody got a hero like that? Your mom. My mom was the most decisive person in my life. She just, I don't know. She just exuded the right kind of confidence. It was not arrogance. It wasn't pride. She just knew who she was, and she knew her place in this world. You ever meet someone like that? It is so just, I don't know, just, it's refreshing. She knew that she was the advocate for the underdog. You ever met with someone like that? That no matter what happened, she was the one that would fight for the underdog. She worked for this large electronics company. I'll never forget, she was a technician for them. And um, whenever the management would do something, now remember, she's a technician. She's not a supervisor. She's not an engineer. She's a technician. And whenever the management would do something that was wrong, she would walk right into the president's office of the, of the company and let him have it. 
This was wrong. Do you know why this is wrong? She had this incredible sense of value for people. And when she saw that value superseded by someone else, she didn't care who you were. You could be the president of the United States. You were going to get an ear from my mom. Earful. And so they wouldn't listen to her this one time. I'll never forget it. And she quit. She said, man, jobs are not that important. People are. And she left. And I was, I was wondering because I was playing softball that night. And mom's at the softball game. I'm like, why is mom at the game? She should be working, right? And she's out there. And all of the people of this company, because she had left, came out with picket signs to our town and surrounded her car, begging her to come back to work. She's a technician. She's not a supervisor. She didn't have any of the roles or the status that we as a culture deem of great value, but her influence was great because she understood this. She understood that intrinsic value comes from a relationship with God and knowing your role and knowing your call. And she actually, they begged her to come back, and the boss took her back and gave her a raise. I'm like, dang, go on. I am not that bold. Oh, holy cow. I think another thing that makes us indecisive is we overthink it. You're one of those people, I can be that person. I get thinking about every angle, and it polarizes me where I can't make a decision because I'm just thinking about too much. When you know your values and you know your call, you don't have to overthink it. You have this intuitive direction of how you should go. And that's why you should know your role in the whole. So how do you become an ant? Okay, that's the negative side of it. How do you come to the positive side of this and become the ant, you know, and build that kind of structure? Well, it's, it's obvious. You be flexible. That's the first thing, right? If you're inflexible, be flexible. And ants are flexible. Oh, my goodness, not their exoskeleton. Don't get freaky on me on the, you know, being too literal. But just the way that they, you know, they'll do whatever is needed to build the structure, to do what has to happen. Look at what Proverbs twenty two thirteen says out of the New American Standard. It says, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. I love that translation. It's real straightforward. What's he saying? The person that's writing this proverb says, a lot of us, the first thing we see is what the issue is, what the problem is, and how I might lose something as a result of it. People that are like an ant, they just see the goal. They don't care. They don't care what it'll take. They'll go after it because they see through the vision where they can get to and how much it will benefit not only God but the people around them. My wife launched um, the very first special needs ministry on the Eastern Shore. And when she did, um, it was pretty interesting because um, she had to be incredibly flexible very pliable. You know, up to that point, she only knew children's ministry and how to be involved in kids' ministry. And she had no idea how all these pieces were going to come to work and how to make this work. And she started going places, talking about flexible, and she doesn't like to travel. So we'd travel to McLean, Virginia and check out their, their special needs ministry. We started reading books that we'd never read before. We started talking to people in certain organizations that we never had relationships with before. And because of that and her flexibility, I got to watch God do this miraculous and wonderful and beautiful work by launching that ministry. It was so neat. But it has to do with this idea of being flexible, understanding what God's doing in the moment, what God's calling you to and saying, you know, I don't have it all figured out, but I'll be flexible. Out of the message, Matthew 12, Jesus addressing the same issue said, there is far more at stake here than religion or religious experience. If you had any idea what the scripture meant, I prefer a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual, you wouldn't be nitpicking like this. Well, that's really good out of the message. Every once in a while, Eugene Peterson just goes, and he nails it home. Don't we do this, not only in the church, but in our communities? We get so hung up on what this means religiously that we stop to say, where's God's heart in the middle of it? And when you get God's heart in the middle of it, This is more like being an ant. This is moving forward with a mission. It's awesome. 
One of, the, one of my heroes in the faith is a guy named John Wesley. Anybody know about John Wesley? I know you do, Hunter, of course. Yeah, John Wesley, yes. John Wesley was an amazing Anglican priest. By the way, to the very day that he died, he still considered himself an Anglican priest, even though he was the founder of the Methodist movement, and later the West, uh, Wesley Church came out of his teachings. So John Wesley, when he was first starting to learn about this idea of flexibility, he had learned growing up as an Anglican priest that these are the things that you do and you have to do them in this succession order and you have to do them in this way and this is the only way that they can be done within the Anglican church. And then John Wesley had a living encounter with the living God, yeah, with Jesus. If you ever read the story, he's at Aldersgate Street, which is a pub. <laughs> I know Southern Baptist just had a heart attack. Okay, it was a pub. He's hanging out at this pub and he hears this guy reading the commentary on the book of Romans. And as he's reading the book of Romans, he's talking about how a person comes to faith by faith alone in Christ, and you can't add anything to it, and you can't take anything from it. And John Wesley's words, quote, I felt my heart strangely warmed, for I knew I could do nothing to merit God's favor, but God had saved me because he loves me. And it radically changed him. He had to become flexible. So he went to the priest at this one priest, Epworth, where he was actually preaching. And he said, I need to teach this message. People need to hear this, that actually all you've got to do is believe in Jesus and your life has radically changed. I've been an Anglican priest all this time and I didn't know it. And I got to share it. And the guy says, ooh, John, that's radical. That's a little freaky. Um, you can't share that. You know, we got to teach people about this step and then this step and then this step. And eventually, maybe, hopefully, you'll get to God or maybe you got to spend some time in that thing called purgatory. But, you know, this is the way it works. And John says, no, I just got to teach this. He says, you can't. And he says, that's okay. I'll just preach in the graveyard. True story. That night, thousands of people came to hear John Wesley stand on his father's tombstone, who was the founding pastor of that church, as he declared that faith came by belief only, by faith in Jesus only. And thousands of people started getting saved and giving their life to the Lord because John Wesley said, I'm flexible enough to shake off the religiosity of what I've come through and see the direction of where God's going. That's pretty cool. That's this idea of being flexible. The second thing is be focused. Be focused. Focus is the difference in a flashlight and a laser, isn't it? Focus is, you got a flashlight, you can just kind of paint it on something, right? But you narrow that and you get a laser. Now, here's the other thing y'all did with ants when you were growing up. Don't lie. You took a magnifying glass, did you not? You did, and you went to the anthill, and you told your mom, I just want to see what they look like with the magnifying glass. But what'd you do? You burned them. You actually got that magnifying glass turned just a certain way, and you focused light down into a laser, essentially, and nuked that poor little ant that only had 45 to 60 days to live, and you ended it however prematurely you did. But that's the difference in light in a laser, and that's what it looks like in the life of people when they really get a hold of this idea of living for Christ, of being focused on it. Two people I want to bring to your attention out of Acts chapter 9. Beautiful passage. It's in the pew Bible in front of you again. Acts 9. 13 through 16, you got this guy named Ananias, and you got this guy named Saul, who's going to eventually be called Paul, okay? Look at what happens in this story. It's so amazing. Lord Ananias answered. He's talking to Jesus. Jesus has been resurrected. He's talking to the resurrected Jesus. Lord Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man. He's referring to Paul. And all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. 
But the Lord said to Ananias, I love it when you see the word but in the Bible, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So here's this idea of focus. Ananias is terrified to go talk to the guy that's killing everybody that's a Christian. So if you said your name was, you're from the Christian faith, Paul had letters to kill you. And the Lord shows him and says, hey, you know that guy that's killing everybody? You know, go to this house, this specific house. He's there, he's blind, and I want you to give him back his sight. And Ananias says, whoa, whoa, Lord, I know you know everything, but did you know that this is the same guy who's been killing everybody? And he says, just go. What was the focus? The focus was on the presentation of what the Bible calls the gospel, the good news, the good news of who Jesus is. And when you understand that, you fear nothing. And that's what he was trying to show Ananias. And he shows up there, and only the rest of the story, he lays hands on Paul. Paul receives his sight, and Paul gets up, and he is never the same. But Ananias was never the same either. And Paul begins to reread the scriptures, and he begins to re-question everything about his faith, and he all of a sudden discovers in this really focused moment, it really is all about Jesus. It really is all about this living relationship with Christ. And it radically sets him free, and he begins to go teaching this everywhere, right? It's 13 books of the New Testament. This guy was set on fire. He was focused. The same focus, the same mission is what gives you and I focus. And when you take this and you focus it on the pain of your life, the hurts of your life, the struggles of your life, and you focus the gospel on it, it takes it from this broad, dull ache and pain in your life to a laser-focused energy that can only be used to point people back to who Jesus is. When you start to get that, it really gives your life purpose. And you start, I, I met this girl this weekend at a special needs conference. I was just telling our team about her. Her name's um, Amber Lee. Amber Lee wanted to be a nurse, and she wanted to be a missionary since she was a child. So she knew this was her call. And she contracted a very rare autoimmune disorder in her early years of college. It was an autoimmune disorder that actually would slough away and eat at every organ in her body that very few people would ever live from. It's a rare disorder. And it actually began to eat away at her skin. She lost 80% of her skin. It ate away at a lot of her internal organs. And it actually damaged her eyes to the point that they never fully recovered. And now she's legally blind. And she comes through this, which is a miracle in and of itself. And she says, God, why? Why? Why would you take the sight of someone who has dedicated their life to go and share about you to an unreached people group far away as a nurse? It's going to be trained as a nurse and then go and heal the lives of other people and share the good news of who Jesus is. Why would you take that person's sight? And as she's struggling with this and as she's wrestling with this, as she begins to take things from here, focus down to here in that laser-focused moment, she all of a sudden realizes that the most unreached people group in the United States are those with special needs, the disabled. And she could have never reached people who were disabled unless she knew what it meant to be disabled, unless she knew what it meant to be someone without sight, without hearing, who is autistic, who struggled in a certain way. How does that happen? It's because you take all of this stuff of life 
and you focus it back to the gospel and the good news of who Jesus is. When you do that, God redeems it, God reclaims it, and he does it in a way that you will surprise you and give focus and purpose to your story. The third thing is be firm. Be firm. Answer firm in their calling. They're firm in their purpose. They're firm in the direction that they're heading. If you know anything, if you do anything or know anything about the glory of God, if you're doing anything for God's glory, you better be ready because the enemy wants to steal it. The enemy wants to destroy it. He wants to take it away. So when I was wrestling in my own life through certain decisions and where I should go next in ministry, every single person came to me and says, oh my goodness, dude, you need to go plant a church. You need to go plant a church over here. You need to go plant a church over here. You need to move over here. I told you about the one in Bermuda. That one would have been cool. But they were saying, go all these different places. And when I said, oh, I just feel like God's piercing my heart for something called revitalization, which is going into the existing churches and helping them move incrementally from where they are to where God wants them to be today. And they're like, are you crazy? Now, these are church people. These are church leaders. And they said, look, man, I don't know if you realize this, but it's a lot easier to give birth than it is to resurrect the dead. That's the exact words they gave me. You shouldn't do it. Have you met the people in those churches? They're rigid. They're inflexible. They only want what they want. And, and I just was thinking, praying, I was like, well, that sounds like the rest of the people in the world to me. They just sound like they're normal people. I mean, that's how most people I know are. It sounds more like the problem's not the people. It sounds like the problem is the leadership and the vision. And the fact that people don't have this idea of you need to be firm. When God asks you to do something, it doesn't matter what he asks you to do. Just be like Nike, right? Just do it. And when you do it, you're actually expressing faith that God's going to show up in the midst of it. That's what's so beautiful about that. So when God's told you to do something and you know that he's gifted you for a certain thing, be firm, be anchored in what he has said. That's like being an ant. So here's the last thought to kind of pull this together for you and kind of bring everything together. Ants build a legacy. They really do. Do you see that mound? Ants build a legacy while slugs just leave a trail of goo. Okay? They just leave a trail of goo. So my question for you this morning is, what do you want to do? Do you want to just be an organism that leads a trail of slime one day? You know? Or do you want to leave a legacy? Because here's how a legacy works. I want you to think back. Can we, do, can we go back to that first picture, Brian, with the big ant thing? And not that one. That's the goo people. This one, yeah. So let me give you a word picture on this. At the very top, that had to start with what? Really, one or a few ants, right? I want you to think about the picture of the church. I want you to think back to Jesus' first baptism, the launch of Jesus' ministry, the great commission and the great commandment where he said, go into all the world and teach everyone everything I've ever commanded you. And I, by the way, I'm with you to the very end of the age. And that's what the church looks like to me. His mission continues to go on. It started with one person. And every person that gets a hold of this doesn't matter what denomination, doesn't matter what their background is, doesn't matter. When they get a hold of who Jesus is, they're connected all the way back to his ministry. Because it's not about our ministry. It's not about this church's ministry. It's about Jesus's ministry. And when you get that, you start to really get a hold of something powerful. Not building an organization, not building a name, not building a denomination, but building Christ's fame. That'll change people.